You are listening to Pastor Mike Griner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled The Slippery Slope, recorded on March 17, 2019. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Well, hello everybody. Welcome to Harvest Community Church. If you're a first-time guest, we're happy to have you. My name is uh, Mike, and I'm opening up my iPad. There it is. It's open. Um, I have a a very serious sermon today because we have a very serious text. But before I get to that, your campus pastor uh, has let you know that the women's retreat is coming up, and it's going to be special. We have a a terrific young author coming who, who wrote some books on faith, hope, and love, very It'll be a very scriptural retreat. Her husband, who's a friend of mine, is going to actually be preaching right here for us. And I can't wait to, to see him. Um, I told him, if you preach for us, you've got to preach a lot of times. And, and so he'll be Friday nighting and Sundaying. Um, but, now this may or may not work, but I thought I'd let you know that I actually get to bring one of the messages to the women's retreat. And it'll be just a one time only, just for the women. Now, I don't know if that's good to say that, if it'll cause you to sign up or cause people to say, can I have my registration money back? I don't know. But um, spring is upon us. It's beautiful outside. And so now it's time to sign up for that. Um, 1 Samuel 22. If you'd open your Bibles, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Um, a somewhat difficult chapter because of what happens within it, but the Bible isn't, isn't a simplistic book. You know, the gospel is easy to understand. Even a child could understand the good news that God loves us and that Jesus Christ loves us and died for us, but that doesn't mean the book is simplistic. Uh, the world has complex problems and the Bible presents a complex universe and a God bigger than that. In this case, we'll, uh, in, this, in this chapter, we're going to see that that is needed, a big God. So 1 Samuel 22, David departed from there and escaped to the cave. He ran away from the Philistines. For those who may be visiting or maybe it's your first time in this series, he's running from the king of his country, Israel, Saul, who's chasing him trying to find him so he can kill him. (laughs) So um, David is a refugee in his own country, trying to stay as much as possible in his own country while running from the king. You could imagine yourself trying to run from the local police. Perhaps some of you have done that. And, um, (laughs) and, 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 but even worse, if they bring the army and they're all, and they're searching for you and that's the situation he's in. So David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, house means family here, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them. You see, up till now in 1 Samuel, David is on the run and seemingly trying to work things out with Saul. <laughs> seemingly. Um, he, in other words, he would prefer that Saul stop trying to kill him and things can go back to normal. But it seems he's hit a point now where he realizes, 
Um, I need to change my strategy. I'm permanent refugee now. And other people who heard of the king's great exploit, not the king, the king-to-be's great exploits, because David will be king, how he's a great soldier, they know he's on the run. And so what do they do? They, so, they say, look, I'm on the run too. It's funny, it says some are in debt. They, didn't, they weren't paying their taxes, right? So they said, well, I'm going to go join that guy because he's on the run, I'll be on the run with him. Everyone bitter in soul, probably towards the king. They came to join him, but also his, his family because his family said, well, we could be in big trouble. Um, they're going to come after us too, which is very normal. As Americans, we, uh, we're very lucky to live in a country where normally if you do a crime, they think it's your problem. Um, if you do a crime, they won't nem- normally arrest your grandmother <laughs> and take her in, um, and that's good, but um, it's not that way among mankind. In fact, even in America, it wasn't always that way. Did you guys know that the guy who shot, um, um, somebody help me, you know where I'm going, Lincoln, they killed his whole family, John Wilkes Booth. They hung them all. <laughs> um, bad seed. And, and that's very normal among mankind. So his family is gathering to him too. Because um, they're looking for help. They don't want to die. And there were about 400 men. So now he's got a gang. Now 400 seems like a lot. But remember he's fighting an army of thousands. But 400 is pretty good. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab. Moab is another very close country. And he said to the king of Moab, please let my father and mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. And the prophet, then the prophet God, Gad, excuse me, said to David, do not remain in the stronghold, depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. Now, we're not going to go through all this geography, but it's important that you know Judah is perhaps the most important tribe of Israel, and it's where Jerusalem is. So if you ever go visit Israel, you will go into the land of Judah. That's the tribe you will go because that's where the Temple Mount is and all the cool stuff everyone wants to see is, is in Judah as well as other places. You'll notice he drops his, ki- his parents off at Moab to be looked after. They're getting old and they need to be kept safe. Um, For those of you who've been reading through the Bible, who are going to read through the Bible, there's a very good reason he went to Moab. Those are probably his relatives. Yeah, he's a Jew, but his great-great-grandmother is a woman named Ruth. And Ruth, if you remember reading that book, is a Moabitess. So she, his cousins live up there. They did the 23andMe, found out, hey, we got a bunch of cousins up in Moab. So he dropped his parents off there. Um, so you can see, this, this is just laying out the strategy of a man on the run, right? He gets a gang of 400 people as a man. I kind of think this sounds exciting now. It's one thing to be all by yourself, but when you got 400 guys with you, it's like, now we're a team. I, I'm not saying it's a good situation, But things must be getting better because he has a little bit of help. Let's move on. Now Saul, verse 6, heard that David was discovered and the men who were with him. How can you keep a secret like that quiet when 400 men and all the people they know, everyone knows they're with David. Saul was sitting at Gibeah under the tamarisk tree on the height with his spear in hand. If you've been around, you already have 
learned that Saul never goes anywhere without his spear, apparently. And all his servants were standing about him. And Saul said, he's not good at throwing it at anything, but he always has it with him. And Saul said to his servants who stood about him, here now, people of Benjamin, uh, for those new to the Bible, Benjamin is another tribe like Judah of Israel, and that's the tribe. David comes from Judah, Saul from Benjamin. Here now, people of Benjamin, the sons of, will the son of Jesse, that's David, give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? That all of you have conspired against me? No one discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse? None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait? As at this day, what we see here is Saul is having a a pity party. The king is having a pity party. He's saying, here I am, the king. I have everything. And all you people know that those 400 people all took off to follow him. And none of you told me, "Is, is, is he the guy hiding in a cave or hiding in the forest? Is he gonna give you stuff? He can't give you stuff. I have all the stuff. I'll give you stuff, but do you help me? No. Who helps the king? Nobody. That's literally what he's saying. He's saying, none of you is sorry for me. It's kind of a pathetic sight when you see it. Then, verse 9, someone does say, well, I'll, I'll give you some inside data. I'll rat out David for you. Then Doeg, the Edomite, an Edomite, he's not a Jew. He comes from Esau. For those of you who know that history, had Jacob and Esau. And the Edomites, by this point, because they had angered God, he took away their nation. So whatever Edomites were left, well, no, they hadn't taken it away yet. He's going to take it away. Um, my brain just jumped to Jesus' days. He will take it away. But the Edomites, let's say they're despised cousins. But uh, the Israelites generally put up with them. Then answered Doeg the Edomite. Who stood by the servants of Saul, and he said, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob. And Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, and he inquired of the Lord for him, and gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Okay, that was last week's text. Remember, David went and he went to the priest and said, I'm hungry. The people with me are hungry. Can you give me some food? He gave him some bread and he gave him a sword. And at the time, David said, I see Doeg here. And Doeg, he's an employee of Saul. He doesn't work. He works for his family personally. He looks after his, like, flocks or something. And he knew Doeg's probably going to be a rat. That was last chapter. Well, it turns out he was right. Doeg is the rat. And he doesn't know where David is, but he he knows where David was. He was in this little town called, little village called Nob, right? That's where he was. And, and I know who helped him too. You know who helped him? That priest, the high priest. <laughs> the priest helped him, that evil priest. Verse 11, then the king sent to summon Ahimelech the priest, the son of ah, Ahitub, <laughs> and all his father's house, the priests who were at Nob, and all of them came to the king. So he didn't just want Ahimelech. He said, I want every priest, every one of his brothers, every one of them, bring them here. We don't know exactly how many yet. He says, and Saul said, here now, 
son of Ahitab? And he answered, here I am, Lord. And Saul said to him, why have you conspired against me? You and the son of Jesse, that'd be David. As a reminder, he didn't know at the time that David was on the run from Saul because David had been on Saul's team. So even at the time, he thought he was helping the king. So Ahimelech is very innocent in all this. Why have you conspired, you and the son of Jesse, that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him so that he has risen against me to lie in wait as at this day? And Ahimelech answered the king, and who among all your servants is so faithful as David? Why, why, why is this a problem? David's your guy, right? That's what he's saying. David's your right-hand man. He's Robin, your Batman. Well, who is the king's son-in-law and captain over your bodyguard? And he's honored in, he married your daughter. He, he's the captain of the people who guard you. Why wouldn't I help him? He's making a very logical case. Is today the first time that I have inquired of God for him? No. He says, I've been praying for this guy. He's your guy. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to all the house of my father, for your servant has known nothing of all of this, much or little. I didn't even know you were fighting. And the king said, you shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. And the king said to the guard who stood about him, turn and kill the priests of the Lord. Because their hand also is with David. So now all the priests are in trouble. They didn't do anything. They probably didn't even know he gave them the bread. And they knew that he fled. And they didn't tell me. They didn't disclose it to me. But the servants of the king would not put their hand to strike the priests of the Lord. Remember, these are the king's bodyguard. They work for David. They're good Jews. They can't imagine killing the priests. What are you, nuts? So then the king said to Doeg, who's not one of the bodyguards, you turn and strike the priests. And Doeg, there's always an opportunist out there. And Doeg the Edomite turned and he struck down the priests. And now we find out how many. And he killed on that day 85 persons. Just just slaughtered 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. And Nob, the city of the priests, he put to the sword. So Doeg kills 85 people, but that's not enough for him. He's got some kind of bloodlust. He killed 85 innocent people. But now that he's got the king's permission, he says, fine, I can do what I want. I can kill some Jews. And he goes down to Nob. And it's probably a small town because all towns were smaller than our towns today because there weren't as many people on the earth. It's a village Perhaps a thousand, couple thousand people live in the village. Both man and woman, child and, and infant, ox, donkey and sheep he put to the sword. We don't know how, if he got every person in Nob because they'd be on the run. But a lot of them he killed, including the animals. I mean, he even killed the animals. But one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. So one of the 85, 84 died, and one got away. And, and Abiathar told David that Saul killed the priests of the Lord. And David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul. 
you almost wonder if David was thinking, I should have killed him. Now, David's probably not the sort of man who kills people for a crime he thinks they might commit. I don't know if you ever saw that movie with, with, with Tom Cruise where they had the precogs that could figure out, arrest you before you did something. I, I can't imagine. I don't know what he'd have done. But at this moment, he's feeling it. He says, I knew it. I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. So David, we don't see his emotion, but you know he's emotion-laden here. He, he feels responsible for the death of a lot of people in Nob. And he says, stay with me. Don't be afraid. For he who seeks your life, my life seeks your life. And with me, you shall be in sh- safekeeping. So his, his answer to him is, look, I, I'm with you. I'm sorrowing with you. But in order to kill you, he's going to have to kill me now. You're with me. And as it turned out, he gave shelter to Abiathar, who kind of became his priest, his local priest. And when David would become king, which he will, Abiathar would become the high priest, and he would actually be a buddy or a companion of David's all the way up till David's death. He'll outlive David, uh, if my memory's correct, and I think it is. So, that's a tough chapter, isn't it? In our, in our notes, in our maps... We want to capture this for future discussion. Um, This chapter provides more proof that sin and evil are in the world. We already have proof. The Bible's told us man has fallen, that man is sinful. We've had the flood. We have all kinds of uh, priests that have to to, uh, give offerings for sin. Well, here's more proof. You want more proof? I think man is basically good. Yeah? Check this out. Saul is warning us to all, is a warning to, to us all. Why? Because he was an ordinary man who turned, upon turning his back on God, became a monster. Paul was an, or Saul was an ordinary man. There are people in the world who will do extraordinary things evil. They'll do extraordinarily evil things. Very often we think of world leaders because they have the most power to do the most evil. But there's people just as evil of them, as them in very many places, men and women. Do you ever wonder where all those evil people come from? If we could just find out, we could just say, hey, no one's allowed out of this city. It's probably Cleveland, Right? But it's not true. If you're from Cleveland, I have good news. People there are no better or no worse anywhere else. You see, people who do extraordinary evil are not extraordinarily evil people. They're not. Hitler wasn't a bad seed. (laughs) You know, mom was reading horror books when she conceived Hitler and a witch prayed over him or something and A demon jumped into her womb. No, no, he was. People who do extraordinary evil aren't uh, extraordinarily evil. They are people whose decisions put them on a path that leads to extraordinarily evil acts. Never underestimate the ability of human beings to be deviant. Never underestimate the ability of people to do bad things. Human beings are sinners, the Bible says. I know this, this, this brings all kinds of intellectual difficulty for us. 
for a number of reasons. One, we just don't think of ourselves that, that way. And, and it's natural to not think yourself that way. It's, you know what it's natural to think of ourselves as? God. Now you would say, no, 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 I never got up and said, I, I think I'm God. I know you don't think of yourself using that word, but God is the one whose morality is always perfect. God is the one who, if you bless him, you're blessing the right thing. And God is the one as if you hate him, you're evil. And that's naturally what we do from little kidhood all the way up till now. Who is good in your life? People who are good to me. Who deserves to die? People who are bad to me. So you're, you're in the seat of God, aren't you? Goodness is depends. Someone can be bad to other people, but good to you, and you'll make an exception for them. You say, well, he's bad to you. Well, he's good to me. So it's hard for us to see our sinfulness when we think we're God. Beyond that, we live in an intellectual day where mankind elevates himself, just like Satan wants us to. Satan is a proud being, and he wants us to be very proud of ourselves. And we find it hard to imagine that things that we think are horrible, are, are, that we are capable of them. But we are. You're a very dangerous creature in the universe, morally, <laughs> by being human. What God requires of human beings is, a, is, an, is an orientation like on a compass. You know, a compass... Which, do we even need compasses anymore? Not if you have a cell phone. But if, you, if your cell phone battery goes dead, maybe you need a compass. Compasses don't tell you all the directions. They just tell you one. They just tell you where north is, right? Now there's going to be some geography archaeologist going to tell me that if I stand in southern Australia, well, I, I don't know about that. All I know is I was taught they always point north. And that thing that spins just tells you it figures out where north is and then tells you the direction you're looking. God requires that we orient the compass of our soul on him and guess what we're not supposed to orient on or, or, or point it towards. <laughs> you might think Satan, but you'd be mistaken. That's dualism. No, don't point it towards yourself. If you want to turn yourself away from evil and towards good, Turn your compass away from yourself and towards God. Always put God first, then not you. Right? Um, when moral choices come, if you're, if you're oriented towards God, you will act righteously. When, moral choices. I'm not talking wisdom choices. Should I buy a Chevy or should I buy a Ford truck? That's not a moral choice for some of you people. I know it is. <laughs> I know, but it's not really a moral choice. But when it comes to moral choices, if you orient yourself towards God and not yourself, what preserves you, what you think is best, whatever seems right in your eyes will mess you up. But if you orient yourself to what does God say, you will make the correct moral choices. And that's what God wants. And if you don't do that, if you choose poorly, what can happen to you? If the situations are right, you can find yourself doing greater evil than you ever thought. Because sin grabs you. Sin grabs you. And I know you're like me. Some of you have found yourself hardened in areas that later you were surprised you were doing evil and it didn't bother you. 
And if you're like me, you also remember times when you were about to go down a path and not even by your own doing, something rescued you from that stupid choice and you look back and went, that would have been a bad move, right? Is anyone like that in here? Yeah, and so what would have happened if you hadn't made that choice? You'd be capable of greater evil than you think. Sin can grab us and pull it. When we first met Saul, I liked him. Didn't you? He's a likable guy. He was tall. He was handsome. He, 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 he didn't promote himself. He was looking for his dad's donkeys or something. Is there anything more lovable than a guy looking for donkeys? I don't know. And, and so he, he finds uh, Samuel says, I'm going to make you king. And he's like, me? Me? Little old me? From a family of Benjamin? No. He was, he was even humble. But then as time goes on, we see that his compass was not, he is as evil as anyone else. He was, he was oriented towards himself and not God. And even though God did miracles for him and made him great, when it came down to a moral choice and the pressure was on, don't you offer that offering. You're not a priest. The battle's about to come. I'm just going to do it. Boom. If you don't know what I'm talking about, that's okay. It's earlier in 1 Samuel. It won't mess up the meaning of this sermon if you don't know that event. But those of you who've been going through, you remember that, don't you? Or do you remember when he chose to spare Agag, the king, when God said, do not spare that man. And he spared the wealth of the Amalekites, which he was not supposed to take for himself. Well, there's some good sheep. We should keep them. And look, there's gold. No, don't you take that stuff. But he was oriented not towards God, but towards greed. I like getting free stuff. I'm with Saul. I like getting free stuff. I'm with Saul. I'm greedy. I am. If you give me enough chance and it's something I want, I will become very greedy. And if some of you think, well, I don't see how you can be a pastor. I'm going to quit the church. My friend, you do not know the wickedness in your own soul because you're no different than I am. That's why I have to orient, orient myself towards God. That's the way you do. And that's why Saul had to, and he didn't. He said, I'm taking the free stuff, even though God said no. You ever taken the free stuff when God said no? And then he continued in his self-directed ways. He, he tries to not be mad at da David, but by this point, he has given up God. He's going to do his own thing, and, and he's progressed to a point where he's like, forget it, I'm going to kill David. Now he wants to kill one man. He wants to kill one man. <laughs> But he can't seem to kill him, and he starts to get paranoid. Everyone's out to get me. Poor old me. And he unleashes a devil, Doeg, on 85 men, and then on a whole town. Why not? He's killed 85 men. Better go back home and kill their families too. Why not? For our maps, sin, when unleashed and unchecked, leads to more and greater sin and more and greater corruption of the conscience. The conscience. You stop. What was right ain't so important anymore. What was wrong doesn't seem so wrong anymore. The, the people, white-collar criminals, blue-collar criminals, thugs, they, didn't, they all had a first day, you know what I'm saying? They started with smaller decisions. Until it just wasn't that bad to do that bad. And, and we all have that potential. Look at the progression of sin as outlined in Romans chapter 1. And I'm going to 
skip some parts a little bit just because it's a very long text. And I just want you to see the flow of what happens. This is in Romans chapter 1, Paul, I'm jumping all the way to the New Testament. In Romans chapter, chapter 1, Paul is going to describe mankind, right? He's describing mankind. And, and, and he's making the case that every one of us is a sinner. And he's going to speak of us collectively. You know, people say, man is basically good. This is Paul's argument. No, he isn't. So look how it goes. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And isn't that true? Isn't all the wickedness in the world done by humans? Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The natural state of men is to push down the truth of good and evil. Not to obey it, to push it down, because it makes us guilty. Dot, dot, dot means I'm skipping some verses. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. We see a process of a person or a people. It doesn't matter how you do it. It could be a village. It could be a civilization. It could be you. Who, who, who know they should do right and wrong, but instead of walking God's way, they orient themselves towards themselves. And what happens? Their foolish hearts are darkened. Their thinking becomes screwed up so that the Holy Spirit can talk to me and you. Let us think back in our own lives and see if any of that applies to you. Did you ever find yourself in a place where you really, you're thinking was in line with what now you'd be ashamed of? Christians? I, I can. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Dot, dot, dot. I'm skipping some verses so you can look them up later. Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts. So there's a spiritual thing going on in the lives of humanity and of individuals. And we see it in Saul's life. The more you turn your back on God, eventually God says, fine. Let's see how the human brain works when I'm not saving it. Right? People get very disturbed about Pharaoh, the great sinner who hates God. Once God stops, he says, okay, I'll harden your heart. What he's doing is leaving Pharaoh to go ahead and handle it yourself. I'm not going to tell you what's good and evil. I'm not going to wake up your conscience. You be you. (laughs) That's what people say today. You be you. Well, that's God. He says to mankind, you be you. And he kills 85 priests. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring. And here we're getting to sexual sins of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, dot, dot, dot. I skipped some verses. You can look them up. And since, and by the way, I'm not skipping them because I don't love them. I'd love to preach Romans 1, but if I preach Romans 1, we'd need five hours. It's, <laughs> I'm just trying to make this point that we see the... <laughs> I actually have a phone call for my aunt. I should turn my phone like off or something, right? The ringer was on. I forgot. I normally turn that off. I hope everything's okay in California. Sorry you heard that. I'm just trying to show the progression. If you let sin grab you, event, if you don't get out of that, you're toast. They were filled with all manner. Excuse me. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. 
If this doesn't describe mankind, if you can't see this in yourself, your family, fine. Think about all those evil people out there. We'll later say that's you too, but for now, think about those awful people. For they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips. How many of you don't think much of speaking ill of other people? They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. There's not enough ways to do evil. Disobedient to parents. Some of you think that's no big deal. It is a big deal to God. If you're in here and you're still under parent age, if you're under 18, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. My friend, sin is a trap. It's a trap. Now, a trap always looks good. I always sin because I want to sin because it's going to feel good. It always feels good in some way or I wouldn't do it. If there's no attraction, why would I do it? People don't go to visit prostitutes because it's not fun. Right? People don't do sin because it doesn't give a payoff, but it's a trap. It's a trap. It's no different putting cheese in a, on a mouse trap. The point is to kill the mouse. The point of sin is to kill you. I, when I was young, I was a very honest person. I had a very tender conscience. I once stole one M&M that I probably could have had because it was at my friend's house. And I was so fearful, I ran home and hid. But by the time I was 15 years old, I was a different person. Because by the time I was 15 years old, I decided that peers were important. But not only peers, but beer was important. I I'd never drunk much, and I started to want to. And once I did, I wasn't going to drink in front of my parents. Because <laughs> I had the kind of parents who didn't let you do that. Which is good. All parents, by the way. My parents weren't even devout religious people at all. They, but they weren't monsters. <laughs> they knew you don't give children booze. <laughs> if you're giving children booze, by the way, let that be your sign. And then... You know, some of my friends started pulling out the, the sweet Chiba. Um, and so I had to smoke some of that. So once you're drinking and smoking the sweet Chiba, you know what you become? You might think a drunk and an addict, but that's the least of your problems. You become a liar, which is worse than all of those. Because you've got to lie all the time. I became a liar. What used to bother my conscience just a year before didn't bother me at all. Lie to my mom all the time. Used to not want to lie to my mom. Sky was going to fall. Now I'd lie to her all the time. Lie to my teachers. Definitely lie if cops are around. And then all of a sudden, I just became a person who's lying. Was I remember a girlfriend once telling me, you just lied to that guy. I know. Well, you didn't even have to lie. We weren't even in trouble. Why do you lie all the time? Because I'd become a liar. It used to bother me. It didn't bother me now at all. And I even started to shoplift. Why? It didn't bother me. 
I was on a bad, bad path. And I'm not going to go into any more stories about me. My point is, I'm an example, just like Saul. Who says I don't end up killing folks? No, I wouldn't be king, so I wouldn't have that much power. But who knows where I was going? Do you think people end up killing folks, start out that way? I'm four, give me a gun. They don't. And I'm not talking about the crazy people. I'm talking about regular folks. About five years after I was 15, I was rescued from sin. Now, I know I'm talking to mostly Christians, but those of you who are not Christians, you need to know there's a rescuer. There is a redeemer. There is someone who can turn mankind around, and that's Jesus. Do you guys know what repentance is? Because repentance can be hard to understand. We can think, I know what repentance is. First, I stop doing all this evil, then God will like me. First, I stop doing bad things, then I can go to church, right? That's not repentance. You know what that's called? Impossible. Repentance is turning your compass. That picture I gave you of you either focused your life towards yourself or towards God. The Greek word for repentance is metanoia. That means changed mind. And it's a changed orientation on your compass. What happened to me when I was almost 20 was Jesus somehow invaded like he does in a magical, really cool way. And the fact that he was God and loved me and died to take away my sins all of a sudden became true, even though someone had told me before. But now, for some reason, it's true. My orientation changed. Now I'm thinking, well, he loves me. I'm supposed to do everything his way. My true north was north. And then all of a sudden he started healing my wicked conscience. (laughs) Now if I shoplifted, I think I'd feel a little bad, especially since I'm the pastor, doggone it. (laughs) And I don't smoke the sweet Chiba anymore. (laughs) I don't care if they make it legal. I'm not smoking it. No, 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 I don't smoke. Sin is dangerous. My friends, if you sin and it doesn't bother you, in other words, you know what the Bible says and you're doing something and it doesn't bother you, you're you're heading for disaster. Wake yourself up now before you do something from which you... Repent, turn. Turn. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus forgave me everything, all the lies, everything, and all the things that I was hardened to. He forgave them all, and he gave me a new life. I was born in the Spirit for the first time. That needs to be you. If you're not a Christian, it is time for you to say, Simple prayer, Jesus, forgive me my sins. I am repenting. I'm turning myself from myself to you. You think, well, I'll pray that prayer, but I'm not gonna turn. Well, then the prayer means nothing. It's like saying to a woman, well, I'm gonna marry you, but you won't show up at the altar. He loves you. He'll turn you away from you towards the real God. And you're not the real God. And here's the cool part. His way is better. Sin is fun, sure. But it always bites you. The Bible says sin brings pleasure for a season. What happens after that season? You're hooked! 
and it consumes you. And what once was fun now becomes disgusting, but you can't turn away from it and you don't even know why. What once was a way to get free stuff now becomes an insatiable desire that you can't even fix. So, so t- turn away, repent, believe in Jesus. But since most of you are Christians, this message is really a warning for believers also because you can screw up your life. You can make yourself useless to the kingdom of God and you can hurt a lot of people. Sin is not a toy. How many Christians just toy with sin? They think, oh, I'll play with a little sin over here and a little sin over there and it won't hurt me. Sin enslaves you, it grinds you down, and it crushes you, and it hurts everybody around you. It ruins lives. Two weeks ago, Pastor Scott rightly pointed out that divorce is a bomb for everybody. Normally when people are divorcing, they think about themselves. How horrible this is for me. Do you know how horrible it is for your cousins? It's not horrible for them. Yes, it is. For both sets of parents, everybody's hurting because you had, you had to do it. You had to run off to that other woman. If you, because you're a Christian, don't think you're on the razor's edge of going towards sin, you're mistaken. <laughs> you're mistaken. Sin is close. It's close. Hebrews 12 it says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. It's right there. I like the way the New American Standard says it. Let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles. Oh, it's easy to sin, ain't it? It's right there. It's, it's waiting to get you. You ever walk through a field and you got those one weeds that I don't know how you do it. If you're within a foot of them, those little round balls just jump onto your pants. And, you can't, and then they kind of roll up in the cloth. You can't get them out. That's what sin is. It's easy. And then it says, let us run with endurance the race set before us. And then what's it say to do? Looking to Jesus. Change your orientation. If everything I do, every moral choice I make, I'm like, okay, I'm at another one of these crossroads and there's thousands of them in my life and yours. I say, okay, Jesus, what do you do? Go this way, he says. I'm going that way. But me says, I'd like to go this way. I can see a little profit in him for me, a little feel, feel good. Don't go that way. Sin easily, a little bit of flirting. You know that little bit of flirting you do that nobody knows about, but your heart knows about it? That'll destroy a lot of lives. Because that's just step one. That little bit of drinking, a little bit of gambling, a little bit of gambling. Next thing you know, you... You're wasting $25 a day on scratchers. Do you know how pathetic that is? And I'm not saying to insult people, but maybe that's you and you haven't realized how sin has got you. It's got you. You're caught. But it's going to give me pleasure. I'm going to win. You're not going to win. If you won, they wouldn't sell the tickets. It's all odds. You think you're different. I know you do think you're different. You're not. But one time I won $25 and then spent 50 Ah, dang, nothing today. 
a little pilfering, they won't notice it. Well, if you'll pilfer, eventually you'll steal. And you'll cheat. And your greed will overtake you. A little bit of pride, a little bit of thinking I'm better than others, and eventually other people become expendable in your life. A little bit of anger, and you become the most selfish person in the room. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Christian, 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Men, if you stay up that late and you're that tired, the devil's going to get you. The devil does not prowl around like a kitten looking for a ball of yarn. He's looking to destroy you, your reputation, your joy, your families, your loved ones. He's looking to bring destruction upon you. And if you ever think, well, I just, I know I sinned, but I'm not telling the people at church because, hey, they're going to stop me and I have a right. You think it's about them? It's not about them. It's about Satan and you and your soul. He's not coming to play. He's coming to devour. And look what it did in the life of Saul. He could have made one choice, wait. Wait for Samuel and seen the salvation of God. And they would have put him on a better path. He took his own. This enriches me. This gives me victory. This is what I want after all. And I'm owed. Mr. Self-pity. And then he unleashes Doug. Doeg, whatever his name is. Never name your kid Doeg. Christians, do you hear this warning? Do you need to repent right now? You know the sin I don't. I want you to know there's grace. But you, I don't want to turn to grace now. You get grace all the time. Don't play with it. There's one more sad truth here that I have to deal with before we're done. And that is that this is a sorrowful chapter because the innocent suffer. David didn't do anything wrong. His family was in danger. They did nothing wrong. The priests and the people of Nob, of course, did nothing wrong. And it's not David's fault. (laughs) I wish it were not so, but the sin of mankind means there's always going to be victims of crimes for which the, the victim did nothing to deserve it. This weekend, there'll be nothing but news about 49 people in Indonesia who went to their mosque and for no good reason somebody shoots them dead. That's mankind. It's what mankind does. That man was not some extraordinarily evil man. He's someone who became extraordinarily, well, he has the same seed to do those evil deeds that you and I do. But he made a lot of bad choices and now you have all this sorrow. All those people's family members. And they didn't deserve it. And that's the world we live in. And, and a lot of people say you should abandon the faith because that's the world we live in. 
Because life hurts, you should abandon God. And that is the stupid, that is Satan's message. It's in TV shows, it's in movies. You hear people say it all the time. It is the voice of Satan. We live in an evil place, but the source of evil is mankind, not God. It's us. So what do we do with innocent people suffering? A fast list to help us stay sane and understand what the Bible says. One, everyone who lives long enough will be wronged, and the victim is never to blame. It's never the victim's fault. It's never the victim's fault. Okay, you shouldn't have been there. You could have prevented it. You shouldn't be out after midnight with with guys. Um, And you shouldn't, by the way. Guys don't get their courage up till midnight, and then they're all liquored up. But it's still not your fault. <laughs> it's always the fault. It's not, it's not anybody's fault. It's, it's amazing when you have like this mosque thing. I haven't been reading the news. I heard that story. I don't want to hear the news because I know what people will do. They'll all blame everyone they can besides the guy who killed everybody. But it's always the guy with the gun's fault. Suffering is universal because sin is in all people. It's not fair. And if you've been a victim, I want you to say it's not your fault. You're not to blame. And I also want you to know God is still there. And he saves your tears in a bottle. Psalm 56. He cares. Second, everyone who lives long enough will wrong others. This is the hard part. You may have regrets that keep you up. You may have done something in the fourth grade that bothers you. And there may be things, if you knew what you did, they should bother you, I guess, I don't know. But you're going to be the evildoer, you have been the evildoer, and though we don't want to be, you might be the evildoer again, and you're going to hurt people. For that, I want you to know Jesus really was punished to take away your sin. You may have had an abortion. That's unforgivable, isn't it? No. No. Jesus forgives you. He loves you so much. You may have been the thief. You may have been the robber. You may have been anything. Three, there's a day when justice will come. No sin will go unpunished. And this is to comfort those victims who've been greatly hurt and the bad guy never repents and turns to Christ. Don't worry. It's all going to be okay. (laughs) There is a reckoning. Finally, those who seek to please God instead of themselves will never know ultimate loss. What I'm saying here is, listen carefully. If someone killed your loved one, someone molested you as a child, someone stole your inheritance, if someone, I don't know, whatever evils people do in America... Fortunately, most likely no one gunned down your family while they were at worship. But let's say they did. You're going to have a sense of loss on this earth for the rest of your life. I know that. But that loss will be completely erased. God has promised us in many places in his book, many places I could give you, but I won't for time, he has promised that he will erase all those pains. Women who cried, grew old, and could never have a baby. He said, I will make you rejoice as the woman 
who's had many. He says this, I will restore the years that the swarming locust has eaten. But you can't restore the years. Years, I lost all that money, all those crops for decades. I lost it. I lost my innocence. I lost my happiness. I lost my childhood. You can't give it back. And God says, I will restore it. And he says to you in 1 Corinthians 2, things which the eye has not seen and the ear has not hear and have not entered into the heart of man all that God has prepared for those who love him. Loss and sorrow on this earth are real, but they're not eternal. They will all be more than satisfied. You will be satisfied. Blessed are they who mourn, for they will rejoice. It's all over the Bible. Look, when bad things happen, let's say it this way, when evil people do things to others that they ought not, God is still in control. We should respond with compassion, patience, and humility. Humility, knowing that we could be the sinner who did the thing. You know, Jesus once, there's a tower that fell on some people and they went and asked Jesus about it. And uh, some, some Pilate had killed some Galileans and mingled their blood with wine. Why you would want to drink blood wine? I don't know. Maybe it's a Marilyn Manson thing. I don't know. But the, they asked Jesus, what about these horrible things these people done? You know what Jesus said? Do you think those people the tower fell on, fell on are more wicked than you are? Do you think that happened as punishment? He said, nah. He said, you repent. You repent. Lest something worse happen to you. And he was talking about judgment. So instead of spending our time condemning the evil ones who do evil, let God handle that. Say to ourselves, what if I was the one who was slain? Am I ready to die? Humility. We respond with compassion and humility. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.